Hello, my name is Father Peter Mussett, and you're listening to the Word on the Hill with the Lanky Guys. No, you sound like a like a 1940s newscaster. First, I thought it was an NPR voice, but it's not the NPR Dude, voice. Like, it's too much inflection. Yeah, give me your give me your 1930s uh, like uh, uh, like microphone announcer. Well, hell yeah, everybody! Welcome <laughs> to the Word on the Hill podcast. <laughs> Coming to you live from Boulder, Colorado. <laughs> I'm Scott Powell. That's Father Peter Mustard over there, and we're gonna break open the Bible. <laughs> I wish I could. What I want to do is like oh, a 1930s like like preacher like radio preacher voice. Oh. That's what I, I got to think about that one for next time, dude. I I was listening. I gave you my baseball announcer. Yeah, yeah, that was really beautiful. Thanks, I was man. I was actually listening to uh to who was that bishop who was on TV again? Bishop Fulton Robert Sheen. Barron. Oh, Bishop Fulton, Fulton Sheen. Sheen. Yes. And dude, I was and I and I I was actually able to imitate Fulton Sheen's voice as he was doing it because he's so dramatic. He's so dramatic. <laughs> like like he's, he, he's brilliant. He's Wonderful. almost Holy. like melodramatic. Yeah, but melodramatic. No, that's not a word. <laughs> <laughs> oh mercy me well we are in the second sunday in ordinary time wow just like that <laughs> yeah dude, all I right that's... i don't even know i mean how, how do you even stand up to the servant of god fulton sheen i don't know is he is he soc right now <laughs> is that, is that, no sog <laughs> what dude, is that dude. something bad Did i said something no bad? no no it makes me so happy dude is that pro sog dude <laughs> Oh it's man, Catholic uh, dude, is he VB dude? Venerable, venerable. Because venerable ha- would be yeah. Because you gotta put another. Is he V dude? No, you have to have another concert. Yeah, you need, You know, dude, he's, is he <laughs> SOG? Okay, second Sunday in ordinary time. First readings: Isaiah sixty-two one through five. Are you an auctioneer? And nobody heard what you just said. First readings: Isaiah sixty-two one through five. Can I get an Isaiah? Can I get a get an at all? Sold. <laughs> all right. Derp. <laughs> I love the I love the derpers, derp, derp. the derpers at the auction parties. Dude. What do you mean the derpers at the yeah. auction? What What does that sentence mean? <laughs> you know, it's like if you've been in an auction and you have like secondaries, and so if if they if they spot something, you have spotters, uh-huh. and if they send them, they're like derp, derp, <laughs> and like the derpers are like my I've only favorite seen them part. Raise of their hands yeah, no, at like I'm, silent auctions. No, live, those are live auctions. Yeah, yeah, I've man. only been to church auctions, which is just volunteers. Yeah, man, I'm going to they the stock show tonight with my daddy. Are they? Uh, do they have auctions? I don't know, is man. That's just... they show stocks. So, oh, for Pete's sake, <laughs> they may be. But... Uh, I'm hope... happy you're going to the stock. show. If there's a derper, I'm gonna let everybody know next week. Yeah, uh, send me a little video and, and uh, the derping. The derping. All right, our responsorial psalm is Psalm number ninety-six, verses one through two, two through three, seven through eight, and nine and ten. And our response itself is coming from verse 3. Our segundo lectura. Second reading. Is, is, uh, is, uh, for, uh, including me, I do this not know This hybrid Spanish. of Spanish and Latin that you just said. Really? I don't know. Yeah, that sounds so good. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 11. That's right. Um, if you know nothing about 1 Corinthians, you might know this one. No, it's not. I thought this was the wedding reading. It's not. This is, no, this is, this is spiritual gifts. We are many parts. And we all one body. All right. Our gospel is coming from the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, the wedding feast at Cana. I was tempted this week, but I don't think we should do to it. To not be silent? Uh, just for Zion's sake. Okay. Um, I was tempted to do the gospel first because I don't have all that much. I don't think we should. Okay. You know what's funny is that like you're actually speaking to something that was moving in my heart this morning. Doing the gospel like, first? No, no. I was just oh. like, I was like, you know, 
I was like, what if we were to take the amount of time that we normally do for the Old Testament reading and mm. do that amount of time for the gospel reading? Well, I think that's right. That was just like kind of one of those thoughts that I had in my head. Well, let, let's do it that way, but let's actually say a word about each of the readings getting us there. Perfect. Because I, I don't, I, I, it's not that I don't have a lot to say about the Isaiah passage, but everything I have to say is directly related to the gospel for this week, right? And, and okay, so 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 Isaiah 62, uh, all, all I really have to say about it, and I actually want to go through this a little bit to okay. put it in context. This uh, We're actually getting, this picks up on a reading, our first reading from I think two weeks ago when we were in um, at the Seek Conference. I think we were right around this section okay. where uh, the Isaiah, Isaiah, remember, it spans this long period of time uh, recounting all of Israel's sin and their downfall and their idolatry and all of these terrible things that they'd fallen into and gives the warnings of all the punishments that are coming, but then also looks beyond the punishments to the restoration that will come later. And so in this section that we're sort of in from about 59 through 60, 61, 62, there's this passage about uh, some of the themes are all of the nations coming together. Okay. Uh, there's a theme of confession of sin and repentance, recognizing the darkness that our sin brings, and then the light of God who is rebuilding us after we've repented, right? It's sort of the idea of, of every time we go to confession, we sort of live this out. We recognize do, the do sin in our lives. You just described every large conference that the Catholic Church ever has. Really? Like, yeah, retreat. What do you mean? Come on, it's you have the big confession night with adoration, yeah. and then you have the big celebration yeah. that everybody's like, look, yay, we're clean and we're good. Like, yeah. And we call That's together true. all the nations, so it's basically, it's an evangelical opportunity to draw a bunch of people in That's to it. experience the glory of the Lord and the confession of sin. It's and very Isaiah. It's it's actually kind of like- It's kind of that? beautiful. Well, because I was thinking about it, hmm. I was like, Zeke Conference is a very extended version of every retreat. Did that you I say do. the Zeke Conference? Because that's a different conference. <laughs> Zeke Conference. We didn't maybe next year. I probably did say Zeke Conference. It's okay. You're but, allowed to. Um, yeah, that one is for Z Zeke Steer and Olivia. I was I was them. thinking of Ezekiel Steer. Yeah. Shout out to Olivia and Zeke. Yeah, dude, living the dream in California. Yep, they're they're cool. He's doing like these really cool um, tours. I know. Uh, yeah, and he's and, a professor down uh, yep. somewhere. Yep. They're he, also, if you follow them on Twitter, uh, they're doing a husband and a wife devotional uh, oh. about having holy marriages and holy families. Oh, so awesome! You should find Olivia Steer on Instagram. Anyway. There's our shout out. We didn't yeah. do any shout outs, so there's one. There's a shout. All right, so so we're in the um, restoration section of all that, right? We're on Sunday of the retreat. <laughs> I don't know what day that would fall. <laughs> um, but, but here's what it says. For Zion's sake, I will not be silent. The I, of course, is God himself. So I am the one who's who's calling Israel out for her sin, who is trying to show the ramification, the fruit that sin brings, which is darkness and punishment. But now I'm also not going to be silent and I'm not going to be quiet for Jerusalem's sake be until her vindication shines forth like the dawn. So Israel, because of her own sin, is going to fall into punishment. She's going to be stripped of everything she has. She's going to be um, impoverished in a lot of ways. And I don't use those terms um, needlessly because we'll come back to there. But her vindication is going to come and it'll shine forth like the dawn. There's, there's a theme in these couple chapters of darkness moving to light. And so her victory is going to be like a burning torch. It says, nations will behold your vindication, Israel. Mm. It doesn't say Israel, but that's who it's referring to. All the kings, your glory, you shall be called by a new name pronounced by the mouth of the Lord. You shall be a gracious crown in the hand of the Lord, a royal diadem held by our God. 
No more shall people call you forsaken or your land desolate, but you shall be called my delight and your land espoused. For the Lord delights in you and makes your land his spouse. As a young man marries a virgin, your builder shall marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices in his bride, so shall your God rejoice in you. Now you can look at the, there's always this, this kind of internal joke I always sort of have running in my head whenever we're going through the readings, which is not at all true. But sometimes you read ones like this and you're like, I just picture a committee of theologians just doing like a Google search. Like, is there any Old Testament passages about weddings? Great. We'll slap this one with the wedding feast at Cana, which is not, of course, <laughs> at all what they did. But you get the kind of gimme passage at the very end. So, I mean, there's, there's, there's what, four lines about a marriage and about a bridegroom and a bride. And you're like, oh, okay, I see how that relates to the wedding feast at Cana. But I actually don't think that's how it relates to the wedding feast at Cana. Well, there's a part of it. I mean, obviously, the bridal imagery, that's important. Right. But I think the story of the wedding feast at Cana is actually embedded in... All of what precedes that, and I don't. I, I'm hesitating because I want to actually unpack it with the gospel. Okay, then let's go to the psalm, and we'll unpack it later. Can because... I just can I just give three teasers? Okay, okay. Just this is all I want to say. Um, vindication. That's one thing. Well, I, I don't know how many I'm going to give, but vindication. Like when you put coins into a machine and you get a soda pop. Vindication. Oh, not vindication. Vindication. Yeah. No, no it's like... people who study the vin numbers. Uh, on vacation. I'm sorry, that was ruinous. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, vindication, right? Movement from, from well, there, there's all these lines in kind of the middle section about a movement from forsaken and desolate to fruitfulness and vindication. Mm-hmm. Desolate, empty, uh, dry it's, to vindication it, and fruitfulness. Right. Okay, hang, let that I, hang there. Actually, it's funny because you have Eremos, that's the, the word desolate, abandoned, mm. abandoned and desolate. I just think it's like, because that's the other one. I mean, like forsaken is where is also can be said as abandoned. That's a good th- th- this oracle word. I, I'm kind of drawing on, and maybe I'm stretching it because you're right in those those words, but I'm, I'm there's something about the desolate Mm. Um, implying sort of an emptiness or a dryness. That is what I really want to unpack. Well, it's, it's actually the that's... word desert. Yeah. You can be translated desert, desolate, yeah, right. wilderness. Okay. So, so, so it actually has a concrete expression. And what's the common thread with desert or desert? No water. No water. Okay. Hold on to that. Um, what is the other one? Well, espouse... I'll, I'll do that as I drink as my... As you drink your laca. Out of my koozie. Uh, a royal diadem, so I'm seeing jewels. I'm seeing, um, yeah, uh, imagery of jewels. Jewels and, uh, and royalty and... Royalty, jewels, and a new name, being given a new name. I'm also seeing that word glory. All the kings will see your glory. Uh-huh. And glory in the Old Testament, I mean, I, I think there's this embedded meaning of... What, what's, what is the glory of Israel? Because it's not just how they look to the nations. There was a very specific Hebrew meaning of that word. Dude, I want to get into that because I need I need more because I have this experience and how I like have this practical definition of what glory and the perception okay. of glory is that uh, that I want to I want to be expanded on. Well, I want to narrow it actually. I mean, it may, it might need some expanding, but actually, for my purposes, I just want to narrow it. The glory <laughs> because because there is a there's a there's a there's a general meaning. There's sort of an ethos. Okay. But there's also when you see the word glory, I think for for a Jew, you wouldn't be able to separate that from the idea of the glory cloud, yeah, the which represents the Shekinah, the physical manifestation of God's presence among us. Right. So, those are the couple of things I just want to the, the the ideas I want floating out there. Right. Glory, glory cloud, God's presence, um, emptiness to fruitfulness, rings, jewels, and a change of name. 
those are the couple things that are floating in my head. Mm-hmm. All of which, well, okay, we'll get there. Uh, all of which are present in the psalm. <laughs> no, no, they're not. I don't know. Oh, no I idea. wish they were, though. Um, sing to the Lord, sing, sing, tell of salvation, declare his glory among the nations. His glory, yep. Declare yep. his glory. So what would it be to declare his glory? His marvelous works among all the peoples. I. Uh, what is the glory, though? I mean, there's lots of meanings of glory, and Dude, I'm narrowing it. This the thing is, is that my definition. This is this is how I kind of like practically get through, and I'm sure it's not it's not accurate theologically. It probably is. Um, but it's it's understanding the divine pattern that God has written into the world, and so it's the ability. It's like perceiving. And understanding what the work of God really is in its concrete expressions in your life. Okay. So, but but that, but that how that is then caught up into the fullness of the whole mystery. So it's 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 the ability to see the practical expressed in the particular the, always speaks to the universal. Right. Right. See, yeah, that's not the practical. So the, the, right. particular the particular yeah. being expressed in my life yeah. and how it's caught up into the whole. Yeah. Which is which is how. It's actually the one of the major themes of all of salvation history. God always uses the particular, the individual, the person, right. to then be the emblem of the rest or or speak to the rest. That's why I love that line. What was it? What did, what did you just say? Proclaim his glory? What does proclaim his glory mean? Well, what is his glory? It's his physical manifestation, his presence. So to right. proclaim his glory is to proclaim Jesus Christ. It's to evangelize. Right. Which there's so much packed into, into this. When I say that I see how God has worked in my life, we yeah, call right. it testimonial a yeah. lot of times. Like that's just kind of how it breaks down is I'm saying like, look, God worked in my life. This is real. Yeah. And I'm going to, I'm going to actually talk about how that yeah. is. And I'm going to be vulnerable enough to say that, mm. I am going to, I actually see how God worked. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so proclaim his marvelous deeds. And and there there is, again, just kind of a gimme moment of proclaim his marvelous deeds, proclaim his miracles that he has done. Right. Which there is a kind of a very immediate context to the the gospel reading. Which I like. Uh, the, the RSV is ascribe to the Lord ascribe. the glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. Really? That's interesting, G- though. That feels like a different sort of feeling meaning then proclaim it right describe it it's it's like a scribe it's like it's, it's like, giving credit where credit's due right i'm gonna actually put my uh, footnote my stuff so what that tells me is there's stuff happening in the world we recognize that there's great wonders being done right but we have to have the eyes to see injustice who is actually doing them right so when you're life you know to 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 see the movement's in your life, but to recognize they're not arbitrary movements. They're not arbitrary things that are happening to me, but that God is actually behind all of it. Good or the things that feel good, the things that feel bad, he's actually working toward his good in all of it. This is really interesting. It's um, it, it's uh, the favro uh, okay. is, is to bring, to bear, to carry. So it's actually hmm. bring to the Lord, you families of people. <laughs> There's three different meanings. Yeah, yeah. The, the doxan to his name. Doxa is glory. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but b- bring to him, but ascribe, yeah. it's it's almost a tribute. Yield, like, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yield to the Lord, his glory. I don't know. It's, I just think it's really an interesting thing to say, like, how do we give, it's, ju- it's just to give what is due to each. I think that theme is going to be played out in the gospel. Yes. Exactly what you just said. Yield to God his glory. Right. Let's hang on to that phraseology for right now. Okay. Yield to God his glory. Because mm. I think that's precisely what Mary does. 
which brings us okay. into the Corinthians, which is talking about the spirit mm-hmm. and the manifestation of gifts in the particular expressions in people's lives. Yeah. Everybody's given gifts for a particular reason to build up the body. Okay. Do you think this list is exhaustive? No. Do you? Is no. it? Is that a trick question? <laughs> no, no, I don't think it's a trick I question. Said, I said no immediately, but then I realized you might be tricking me. No, no, I, th- like th- that's the thing is I was looking at this and I was like, I think Paul was like encountering these like gifts of, I think that there's a particular reason why I want to say that this is not a, this is not an exhaustive list. Because proficiency of lathes is not on here. <laughs> Machining. <laughs> to another, proficiency of machines. <laughs> and to like, another. The gifts of animals. The gift of YouTube channels. The gift of YouTube procuration. Uh, of distinctions. Of distinctions. Of course, actually, that's word of knowledge. Cooking. Well, this is interesting. Hospitality. It's, but there, there's some actually real virtues. Friendship. Yeah, there's a lot. So, that, no, it's certainly not exhaustive. I think that there's specific ones that I, I think that he's like recognizing and trying to speak to the Corinthian people. Because they're probably struggling with particular things. One of the things we have to keep in mind is this section of Corinthians. I think from chapter 11 through 14 or so. Yeah. The context he's, he's speaking about, because we take we, we tend to wrench these things out of context. The context, everything he says in this section of 1 Corinthians are things related to the liturgy. Right. And so when he's saying these things, he's talking liturgically. So oh. in the context of the liturgy, liturgically, these are the things that I need you thinking about in the context. Because there, there might be a tendency. We certainly have it now. They probably had it then. The Corinthians were fairly big-headed. We know some things about the Corinthians. <laughs> they're, they're, they're probably the closest association with our culture in a lot of ways. And we can talk about all of Corinth and the things that, that resonate with them, with us. But, you know, I think it's really tempting to, to go to Mass and to maybe have the feeling of like, oh, you know, there's Father up there preaching the homily and doing his thing. I could probably do it better. Why does he get to do it and I don't get to do it? I've just got to sit here and, you know, do my thing. And, oh, that, you know, the, the music, I could do the music better. And, you know, there's a... I've definitely gone to Mass a lot of times and thought of the ways that I would give the homily better well, did if I, do I was that? doing it. But this is almost a built-in corrective to that. Right. No, that's not what you're called to do. You have gifts in other places. And if you understood your gifts, you would actually quiet down and stop complaining about the gifts that you do not have, right. which is the tendency that I have. But I think it's important because there's a universality to that. But Paul's actually speaking liturgically right. to a bunch of people that are pretty big on themselves. Right. He's saying, no, you know what? It's And, and Paul, one of the other things we know about Paul is that he makes it very clear. He's a brilliant writer, but he actually makes it clear he's not very well-spoken. Mm. And it's going to get them into big trouble in Second Corinthians, where they're like, who do you think you are? You're not even well-spoken. You don't have this gift of Greek rhetoric like the rest of us have, and you're telling us all what to do? And he's like, well, yeah, because that's the gift that God actually gave me, and that's the call that I have received, and yours is something different. So don't be jealous or ticked off that I have received a call that you do not receive. Right. Which is just good instructive for all of us. And that we all have a place. Yeah, it's interesting. What I've been what I've been doing, and we had a discussion at the staff coffee hour this morning, mm. is I've been going through all of the YouTube channels that I subscribe to, and I've been uh, which are <laughs> abundant, which are abundant, <laughs> and I've been trying to uh, like understand the particular gifts that they're bringing from their channels. Like, mm. how do I like really reverence the reverence the virtues that they're bringing, and why I like am intrigued, and why I actually spend my time with these particular individuals on YouTube. Mm. And, and, and it's partly out of the spirit of saying like, okay, um, I, I like it. The, the, um, new American says the expression of wisdom to another, the expression of knowledge, Mm. but the, but the, it's, 
it, but it's more Semitic in its expression. It says, it says uh, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, mm. the, that, um, and, and so th- there's this, this, mm. there's this certain sense. It says like all about these things that are being uttered it says is given a word of wisdom to another, the logos. I mean like mm. logos, like really the word, word, mm. the word of gnosis and the, another, the same spirit, a gifts of healing, the mm. spirit to another activities of power, miraculous things. Activities of power. Yeah. Hey, what has God gifted you with? Oh, I like, I'm really into my activities of power. <laughs> <laughs> or miraculous deeds. Sure. Or, however you want you know, to put it. Or prophetic words mm. or, or, or uh, the distinguishing of spirits mm. to tongues and to interpretations of tongues. Mm. Like, and like, and he's given individuals specific things. And like, as if the, as if like you could start, we still are not done making like all of the taxonomy for, um, um, what you may call them. Taxidermy? Um, no, taxonomy, which is the the uh, uh, the distinguishing of animals. We haven't named all of the animals. I mean, oh, you mean still, in, in the world? Right, right. Well, we I should mean, get on that. As, as if there's going to be less animals than there are gifts of the spirit. And what? What? I don't know. I'm gonna stop. No, I, I think I think I love it, but I don't. Is this exhaustive? I think that there's so many more gifts than we Got even it. understand, and that that's actually part of the work and of the church. It's analogous to the way that God has designed the world. Right. We can never fully tap in to the full to the fullness. Right. When I think it's that last line is important. The one Spirit, the same Spirit, produces all of these, and He distributes them individually to each person. As he wishes. As he wishes. It's up to him. Right. So if I sit there, I'm like, I could give a way better homily than Father Peter could. Right. The Spirit's like, well, you don't. And you're not going to because I gave it to him. I don't think that. That's not how I feel. <laughs> but inc- incidentally. But you know what I'm saying. That's a, right. It's an important distinction that if you're ticked off about it, take it up with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Or like like uh, with our podcast here. Some yeah. of you listen to the podcast and yell at your uh, iPods <laughs> and cassette <Your> players. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Those of you who transfer this to cassette. Now and- on 8-Track. Um, but like you're going like, oh man, I could do this so much better. I want you to, I want you to get together with your friends and sit around and talk about scriptures and put it out into the world. Mm. It's like, we have no corner on the market. No. And if we do, then we're doing it wrong. Right. Our whole thing is, is like you use this in the best of way in whatever way that it can light you up. Because all we're trying to do is point to the glory of the Lord. That we've That's experienced it. in this in this very like we've been given the Ascribe gift. Ascribe to the Lord His glory. Right. If I have a spiritual gift, I would say that it's absurdity. So yeah, I would say so. Um, but taxonomy. <laughs> I have the spiritual gift of taxonomy. Taxonomy. I like that you can't say it. <laughs> it's hard. It's specifically. 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 <laughs> All right. Okay. Let's just get into the gospel, and Wedding then it'll make everything will make sense after this. All right. Let's just read a few. Maybe not the whole thing, but just to get people, because I know a lot of you are familiar with the story. You've probably heard it before, but we got to get people in it, right? So there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. So we're up in the Galilee. We're, we're, we're pretty close into, this is uh, very early on in the Gospel of John. It's only chapter two. So we've had the big prologue. The, John's very poetic. Like in the beginning, there was the word and the word is with God and the word was God. We've got a we bunch of that, days. We have a bunch day, of days. Second day. Well, do you know what day, day we're on right now? We're in the seventh day, bro. No, we're not. Third day? Yeah. We'll get there. We get there. Hold on. There's a connection with the third day. Okay, I knew that because there's a lot of math that you have to do to get to seven. There's days a lot of math. This prologue. Yeah, but not too much to get to three. <laughs> so <laughs> I like the less math. Um, Jesus has already called his disciples. We've had John the Baptist's testimony of this is the Lamb that has come. I didn't realize it, but now I do. That whole thing. Yep. And then they go to the wedding. 
They're like, oh, there's this wedding we have to go to. And they all go. All the di- It's actually the first scene where all the disciples are together oh. as one. And they're actually spoken of as a body together. Um, okay. There's more to say. Okay. So there's a wedding up at Galilee. The mother of Jesus was there. And Jesus has dis- and his disciples were also invited to the wedding. That line, I have to say something about that line because yeah. <laughs> it tells you so much about what John is doing here. And for, you know. <laughs> what was that? Did you? Did you hear that? Yeah, I did. It was like a bing. It was like some sort of spring. It was that auctioneer. Bing. <laughs> ding. Derp. Derp. <laughs> um, but, but what John has done there, and, and you know, our, I, I, I want to pick on our Protestant friends who sometimes think Catholics give too much weight to Mary. Mm-hmm. Think of how John just framed the story. There was a wedding. Mary was invited. Oh, and Jesus went too. <laughs> but the way that he framed that for you tells you a lot about how he's going to structure this narrative and who the important players are. Mary was there. Oh, yeah, Jesus was too. <laughs> Which I'm just, I don't know why John chooses to word it that way, but he does because he wants to highlight Mary's role in this. Right. It's very important to him. Mm. Yo, and the disciples were there too. When the wine ran short, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, what is, woman, how does this, your concern affect me? There's lots of different uh, translation variations. This is not my favorite one, but we'll let it be. He says, what is this? Actually, my favorite translation, and this might be my own translation. I'm not sure if there's a Bible that says it. My favorite is is him saying, woman, what is this to you and me? Which I think is the truest to what the Greek actually says. She's like, hey, there's no wine. What is this to me, to you and me? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, that was what the uh, commentary I was reading went went through, yeah, and said that that it's a specific phrase. It is. That's used actually extensively in the Old Testament. Mm. But he says, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servers, do whatever he tells you. Uh, and it goes on to talk about I, there was. I, I love the commentator that I was reading was. Who is uh, it? Um, that one blue book. Oh, the one I, the blue book me. I gave you. I can't remember who it was. It's over. It's in the chapel. Um, but, th- but they said, uh, obviously, Mary had no idea what was Jesus was talking about because she dismissed it. And I was like, no, I was like, what? No, I know. I thought it was like, I was like, dude, that oh. is the most dismissive reading I have ever heard uh-uh. of this. I'm like, I'm no, like, no, as no. if Mary and Jesus did not, two sinless people didn't talk about the fullness of what was about to take place for 30 years. Well, I don't know about that. But I, I guarantee Mary knew exactly what was going on. Yes. I don't know to what degree they spoke about this. I don't know. That's, that's, that's an interesting piece of reflection. Yeah, man. Yeah, I've never... Sorry, you kind of caught me off guard with that. Like, what, what were the that's conversations really in Nazareth about? Like, Mom, I'm going to Did they talk about it thing. or did they just not talk about it? Yeah, is it like the podcast? We never talk about the podcast before the podcast. <laughs> the first rule of the podcast <laughs> is, is don't, don't talk, talk about, about the, the podcast. podcast before the podcast. Before the podcast. Okay, um, so let's, let's take a couple things here. Um, <laughs> G- her, her statement they have no wine For, first of all oh my gosh there's so many things you guys not having wine I don't know if that seems like a big deal or not to you but for a, a family particularly the parents to actually run out of wine and we actually know well I don't know how far into the wedding celebration it is but to run out of wine when you have invited all of these people to come and celebrate with your family on what is one of the most important days of your family's life would bring so much dishonor and so much shame. It's hard to wrap your mind around how embarrassing, not embarrassing. It's not like, oh, oh man, what a snafu. It's this, it's an honor culture and you have lost honor by inviting people to celebrate with you and not be able to provide the means of celebration. 
there's so much shame in that. And they would have been disgraced in so many ways. So part of it speaks to Mary's heart of them. I mean, but th- this is the thing is we, we would have the same thing today. Probably. Like, like honestly, like you, you, you say, you know what? We just don't have any more resources. And people would be like, oh, like, like yeah. at, a, at a wedding, the shame that the bride would feel. Yeah. 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 Right. She would be like, oh my gosh, I'm the, like, I just failed. I just threw a party for everybody. And I like, and, and she the whole go, family and the, the parents, whole family, the, siblings, and the parents yeah. and the, the dads of the bride and everybody, yeah. I mean, pe- like everybody would just feel shame. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when Mary says there is no wine though. So when number one, she, so, so, okay. The scholars have, I think this is uh, De La Pottery talks about this. There's basically three options for how you can look at what Mary's saying. Number one, there's the practical sense. There's the, the literal sense. They, they really just don't have wine. There is a <laughs> beverage made of grapes that is fermented that is not available for people to be drinking. Well, but, but the fact that she's saying it to Jesus, what, what is her intent? Is there a practical sense of like, hey, they ran out of wine. You should go get some. Mm-hmm. Like, let's help them out. Like, you know, there, it, there's different ways to guess at what is Mary saying here. Mm-hmm. And you could interpret it in such a way to be like, hey, they're out of wine. Like, we should do something. Right. That's one way of reading it. Um, there's another sense in which maybe she's asking for a miracle. Mm. Maybe she actually, you know, she, she certainly knows who Jesus is. She gets this. Interestingly, there's no reference to any miracles yet in the Gospel of John. Jesus has not done any right. miracles. Right. So there's no precedent that Mary has. Right. She certainly knows who he is and what his identity is as the king of Israel and all these things. But there's nothing necessarily that's got the idea of miracles in her brain because he hasn't done any yet. Right. But that's an interesting question. Is she asking for a miracle? But then there's a third option that I think is, is kind of intriguing, that Mary is also speaking not just of the couple, not just of this particular celebration, but she's speaking allegorically on behalf of all of Israel. Because what's happening, go back to the first reading, right? In the first reading, we have all of the warnings because of our sinfulness, because of our, our idolatry and this darkness. We've brought this punishment and sin upon ourselves. And there's going to come a point when God vindicates us. When Lady Zion is actually brought back and her torch is lit again and she is vindicated. And when you're vindicated, that's the time of celebration. The time of celebration is not when you're in the midst of the battle. The time of celebration is not on Good Friday. Good Friday is not a time to be celebrating. And Israel at this point in her history... There's almost something, I don't want to read too deeply into it, but Jesus's manifestation has not yet come. He's not been revealed to the world yet. And so there's an allegorical sense, though, of trying to celebrate the vindication of Zion before Zion has been vindicated. And on a certain spiritual level, of course, the wine will run out. Right, which is is actually part of the problem with pious, pious platitudes in our particular Catholic culture. Get another P in there. <laughs> Particular pious platitudes. What happens is somebody comes to you and they're like, everything sucks. My whole life is crumbling. Um, yeah. These are these profound sufferings that I have absolutely no explanation for. And mm. you know what the response is? What? God has a plan. And you're like. <laughs> Offer it up. You're like, offer it up. <laughs> and you're like, like you're like, no, actually, we need to be in yeah. a time where we can recognize suffering as suffering and yes. not actually be in a time of vindication. Yeah, and because, yeah, exactly. Because vindication is glory. 
yeah. when when all of a sudden you realize that like we talk about on the podcast was it not necessary that these things were to take place and now all of a sudden you see that there is meaning for what was gone through because yes. it brought about an expl uh, an explication yeah exactly of the real work of god into the world in a concrete capacity absolutely right but when you're run out of to, wine at a wedding, you're not in vindication, and you're like, I'm just scared. I don't know what to do. Yes, which is, and that's the that's the way the church has always taught us to read scripture is that there's a literal sense. Right. There really was a wedding. There right. really were people freaking out. But there's also always the spiritual sense, and there's something behind the text that's speaking to something deeper. It's not merely about these people and their family struggles. That's real. That's actually happening. But then there's an emblem of all of Israel, who is a family who has really run out of wine for a long time. And Israel is living in this period of like, oh, we're out. We have nothing. We are tapped. When? Who can help us? The particular leads into the universal. Exactly right. And the interesting, and we, we cut it out, which stinks. Of uh, Cut it out. Nice thing. <laughs> uh, Uncle Joey. No. Uncle Jesse. No, man. No, absolutely it is. Yeah. Uh, it's it's the Uncle Nickelodeon Joey. show. It is Uncle Joey from Full House. Oh, really? Yeah. You're thinking of uh, Dave Coulier. Cool, Dave yeah. Coulier. <laughs> Dude. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Uncle Joey. <laughs> Don't you try to put one over on me. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Anyway, <laughs> what it actually says in the text, which we cut out for some reason, is on the third day. And that's why... <laughs> But it's it's the uh, precursor, which I get why the I get why in the liturgy we don't include those words yeah, because it's, there's it's obscure. It's a lot of unpacking, and you're like, well, the third day from what? Well, that's interesting because John actually doesn't tell you what it was the third day from. There is a lot of math that you can work through in the beginning of Luke, of John to get there. But but that reference point on the third day there was a wedding at Cana, and the thing I was thinking about with the third day. I think there's a, a pretty explicit Old Testament reference to the third day. I mean, we're talking here. This is this is the Isn't first that a band. Third day? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if they are big anymore, but there was a Christian band named Third Day. Okay. Yeah, Third Day. Yeah. Third Day. <laughs> okay, okay, <laughs> anyway, okay. Um, this is the beginning of what will become God's pinnacle saving act for all of humanity, right? This is the starting point. The wedding feast at Cana sets in motion what will be God's ultimate salvation for all of humanity. Mm. Okay, fair okay. enough? Fair enough. That's the, a New Testament reality. Prior to this, what was God's pinnacle saving moment in the Old Testament? Um, the uh, ascension of Elijah? No, the Exodus. As Exodus. The story, the whole story Exodus. of the Exodus. You know, you know that. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I know that. I, 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 I was I'm just sorry. Like I didn't mean to, to put you on the spot. Dude, That's the worst. And whenever you do it to me, I, I hate it. it. It's sorry. it's it's okay. I uh, I I'm humble. No, it's, <laughs> I, can, <laughs> I can edit that out. So you, you don't sound smart. <laughs> <laughs> I have no problem with it. But you know, you knew what I was talking oh, about. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, no, I, I just couldn't get there. A, that's when people that, that right now are that's yelling at their eight tracks. <laughs> <laughs> because they're stuck and they don't work anymore. <laughs> anyway, so, so the reference point, if you're reading this as a Jew and you're thinking of God's saving work, the reference point for that is always the story of the Exodus. Right. And in the Exodus, there's a very specific reference to the third day of something. Right. And the third day in the book of Exodus, the third day of Exodus, remember, it was after three days of fasting and praying and waiting that God appeared on Mount Sinai mm -hmm. to the people. And then he appeared on the third day, and it was on the third day that God comes down to Mount Sinai and establishes the covenant. And all of the prophets from there on talk about that moment as a marriage 
of God with his people. Really? So there is this reference point that's meant to evoke all of this stuff. The glory of God present on Mount Sinai when he wed himself to us. Mm. And then all of a sudden you read here in John that, oh, on the third day, your mind should automatically be thinking of God and his wedding himself to his people. I mean, there's no coincidence here, right? No. So John has Mary. You know, Jesus is also there. And... um, Oh my gosh, Father Peter, there's so much here, and I'm kind of getting paralyzed. But I do want to say this. Jesus, Mary, when she realizes this, this thing, again, I think she's speaking on behalf of Israel. Whether she realizes it consciously or not, she is set as a representation of Israel who has no wine. Right. They have not yet experienced their vindication. But she's also in the particular moment of this family's life because that's God doesn't just work in the world and the universal. He works through every one of our individual lives and all of the little tiny things that happen to us in any given day, which all point to the universality. This is your whole point, right? Right. But what she says... Well, she doesn't say, hey, go do something about this. Or like, hey, we need to go to the store and grab some wine for them. She doesn't say any of that. She doesn't actually explicitly seem to make a request. She simply states the need. Hey, Jesus, we got to do, you need to help us. You need to do something about this. She just says, they have no wine. And and it's interesting, the commentary that I was reading, as, as you can tell, I read a commentary for this particular episode. <laughs> um, it was saying uh, when Jesus says woman, he, uh-huh. the, the commentator said, there's been so much ink, and I would actually yeah. say so much airtime mm. given to the fact that this was not rude. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, Some people think it was. Some people are still stuck on that. Yeah. But what I, what I like about it is this commentator was, woman, yeah. Yeah, was saying um, that... Um, it's actually saying my will is about the father's will, even above familial, familial bonds. Eh. <laughs> There's there is a Protestant go-to that you're not saying this, but there is a Protestant go-to that says this is the moment that Jesus, for the sake of his ministry, is actually breaking familial bonds to actually universalize the church and what he's going to do, which I don't think he's breaking any familial. You're not saying that. No, no. I know you're not saying that, but there is a school of thought. That says this is actually Jesus pretty explicitly distancing himself versus, from his family. Versus the connection to the Proto-Evangelium, which is saying the, the ancient woman. Yeah, there is Eve built in here, but I also think there's a deeper sense. I, I mean, Eve is for sure here. <laughs> if there's a deeper sense than Eve, bring it. Lady Zion. I, the she, I that we get from the first reading. Yes. Zion, Jerusalem, Israel is always embodied as the she because she is always the bride to God as the bridegroom. And I think on some level, again, there's there is a literal sense and a spiritual sense. God, Jesus is addressing Mary, who expresses the need of all of Israel as Lady Zion, as Mm. Israel, who is about to share in the vindication. I think Eve is totally there because woman. But I also think there is a reference to the woman of Israel. Um, and what does he say? Well, the way I interpret this again is what is this to you and to me, which is not dismissive. He's not like, what's it to me? I don't care. I'm just at the wedding. Just give me my drink. He's not saying that. (laughs) I think what he's saying is, do you understand if I do this, what you're asking of me right now, which she phrases what she says in just a statement, but there is a request built in, right? There's a trust that he will do something. He's saying, do you understand what this means? Do you know what this means if we start heading down this path? Because he says, my hour has not yet come. And the only way that John uses Jesus's hour is in reference to his crucifixion and his passion. Right. So what he's saying is, do you realize that if we head down this road, if we start this, if I do this thing that you were implying that I ought to do, there's no turning back. 
we are headed toward Calvary. And I don't know to what degree Mary understands the fullness of that, but we do know... Remember back in uh, in the Gospel of Luke, she she talked to Simeon, right. who said, "There's going to be a sword that pierces your heart." She she knows what's coming. I don't know right. if she knows the details, but so she's he's saying, "Do you understand that we're about to head down this road of mm. everything that Isaiah had been leading to, right. the confession of all of Israel's sins, the dealing with the sins of Israel that will take the whole nation and in fact the whole world from darkness into light for her vindication." Mm. That's what we're doing if we start heading down this road. Um, but I can't also st- not mention, um, I got this from Father Brady years ago, and I'm sure I've talked love, to you about this. I love B-Dog. Father Brady Wagner, he, uh, we were up at Camp Wojtyla, and there was one, we do a confession night, because that's, we fit the paradigm, <laughs> that's exactly what you said. <laughs> but, you know, it was, uh, it was like a high school girls camp or something, and there was like 60 high school girls, and we had one priest <laughs> for a confession of 60 high school, and we had scheduled like five or something, and everybody had to cancel for different reasons, just everybody had to back out. And it was just Father Brady. Oh, wow. <laughs> Who's, you know, he's not the shortest confessor in the world either. <laughs> but so we're like, and we were kind of freaking out. And it was a couple hours before the confession night. And this, you know, it is kind of this pinnacle night in the experience. And it was, we wanted it to be this powerful thing. And um, he was talking to us and he was talking to Annie specifically. And he was like, look, he's like, do you remember the wedding feast at Cana where Mary realizes this need and she doesn't flip out. She's not like, oh my gosh, we have to get wine. We have to do these things. She simply states the need and lets God do the rest. She says, they have no wine. And so he's like, our prayer should just be, Jesus, we have no priests. <laughs> and leave it. And and trust in God's mighty hand to do the rest. And and this was the guy who was going to have to shoulder the burden of all 60 girls. Yeah. Saying, you know, this wasn't like a holy platitude. But it was I, that that has stuck with me for years. This idea of prayer in the sense of just put your need before Jesus and trust Him with it. We have no priests. We have no wine. And it was funny this morning. I try to pray. This sounds pathetic, but I pray one decade of the Rosary every day, just because that's you know I make it a part of my. Yeah, I should pray a whole Rosary. Blah blah blah. Anyway, but this is what I can do. Yeah. And uh, today it was Thursday, and I was I was you know as I was on my prayer walk this morning. I was like, oh, what, what am I supposed to meditate on? And I realized it was Thursday, which is the Loomis Mysteries. I'm like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meditate on the Wedding Feast of Cana. Wedding Feast of Cana. And I just kept hearing Father Brady's words. And then I was just kind of thinking about what that means. We have no wine and all the ways in my life that, you know, Jesus, I don't have enough wine to do this. You right. know, in the sense of like, and, and those of us, especially in ministry, right, right, who people depend on us and people are counting on us. And you got to stand up at mass every Sunday or every day and people are listening to hear some spiritual fruit from your mouth. Right. Or, you know, come to my classes or listen to this podcast and there's people hanging and waiting and we've got to provide some wine. Right. And there's something so holy, especially those of us in those positions or parents or whatever we are, just to be like, Jesus, I don't, I don't have enough wine. <laughs> I'm going to run out and you need to do something. Or maybe we're in the situation where well, he, well, this is this is the thing is like the other the other morning I was praying and and I I just like I get really like frustrated with myself that I'm not like a like a really exacting theologian who like really likes to go through the fathers and is like really hardcore in that capacity and I really love hmm. studying how to do instructions yeah. and like like to do things and I love craftsmanship and I love. Um, I love to understand and analyze the the passions and virtues of YouTube channels. Yeah, like like it, <laughs> yeah. it's just not it's just not weird. I mean, it's just not normal. And yeah. and like to be able to go like 
Lord, is this the wine that mm. is given? Mm. Like, like, are you going to take these things that are particularly given to me that I'm like bizarrely passionate about? Mm. And you're going to actually transform that into yeah. the glory that you want to manifest within the world? like, Because yeah. it's not easy to do something that's not standard. Yeah, It's not easy to start a Catholic adventure camp. No, It's not easy to say like, no, okay, I'm going to just do what you tell me and mm. I'm going to sit here and mm. I'm going to trust that this will manifest somehow your presence within the world and like yeah. and you say yeah. I, I i it's hard to trust that what you have to give is actually a valid gift yeah absolutely i mean that i think that that's where we that's one yeah. of the greatest crises yeah. in the modern age yeah. is that we don't trust that we've actually been given the proper gifts to manifest within the world through the particular gift of the spirit in our lives which is a funny thing because i i and i i just maybe people have said a ton but i don't feel like i've thought very much about the six stone jars that they use yeah. which I was actually thinking about. And I didn't read any commentaries on this, but I was just thinking about it. Six stone jars. It says the stone jars that they asked the servants to fill up with water that will then be transformed into wine. Right. We know the story. Um, they were the jars that were there used for the ceremonial washings, which right. was, this was the the, clean, the cleansing ceremonies where you would move from ritual or liturgical uncleanness mm-hmm. and you would be fit for service to God. That's what they're there for. And it's interesting that Jesus uses these ceremonial jars that move us from ritual uncleanness into the kind of people that are fit to be in God's presence again. Mm -hmm. That's what he uses to transform this water into wine. Mm -hmm. And the fact that there's six of them, you know, numbers are a big deal in in Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew mindset. Six is always the number that refers to humanity. And sometimes it's referring to sinful humanity or, you know, it's the day of the week of creation that we're created. It's the day that animals are created. And so oftentimes six will be like, when we're just thinking about ourselves or when we're acting like animals, right? There's sort of a reference point. But there's something very beautiful that these six jars, which are used for cleansing and making us right before God, they represent our humanity. We're pouring ourselves into these jars. Mm. Our humanity is represented and they're being turned over to Jesus so that we then can be made clean and put before him for his service. Mm. And how is that manifest? In celebration, Mm. in wine, in vindication, in glory, in beautiful, in the torch being shined. But not just like this this vindication in the sense of like, yay, we're awesome, but wine, which is what you have when you're partying and when you celebrate and when you realize life is good and I want to enjoy it and share it with you. That's what they're putting into these jars that represent all of our humanity that's then being cleansed. Our humanity is being cleansed in these jars so that we can be turned over to God and made glorious and made celebratory. Mm. But I've never thought about those jars before until today. But it was really beautiful to me. Yeah, I was in light of what you just said. I was trying to think on how you would make a 20-gallon stone jar. <laughs> and and like what kind you can of start like, a YouTube channel. Yeah, I, I can make 20 I can make those. But I was like the 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 mouth of them would have to be quite open. They're mm. not you're not going to be tipping over one. Uh. There would be it would actually you dip like with a ladle or something, right? You could, oh. or I mean, if you're going to wash in it, twenty gallons—that's a lot. That's a big jar, and like, what kind of tools would they have to be able to make that? I don't know. This is what my brain thinks of when I'm in holy hour, which is right. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and it's my particular gift. But like, Lord have mercy. There's nothing beautiful about that, yeah. though, because this is going to go to the service of God, so it should be considered. It should right. be thought out. 
right? And I, I always just think that it's it's interesting because the reason why you need to be cleansed for ritual service is that you've had some sort of encounter with death. With death, yes. And so it's it's death to life on the That's third absolutely day. Absolutely, it is. It's death it's, to life on the third day. Boom. Yeah. It's Ooh. Like, it's just it's just really powerful in this particular manifestation. And so mm. it's like, of course, God wants to work at this wedding. Of course, He wants to work in your life. He wants yeah. to actually do these things that are individual and unique and intimate and to manifest his glory within your life so that you will make mm. known to the nations the glory of God so that yeah. you can see in a particular way. I mean, that's what we celebrate in the mm. stories of the saints. That's what I celebrate in your life when you tell me about the car and the windshield wipers and the, the whole thing and, uh, and the frozen windshield. What? Of your car. My the, car? Yeah, when you're traveling across the country. and I can't even remember the story. The now. lightning bolt? With a lightning bolt? When my windshield wipers flew off the car and the lightning bolt hit me? Yeah. Yeah, that's a story for another day. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why I had it as frozen. No, that's... I think it's because I haven't been able to see out of my windshield because, like, my windshield (laughs) wiper, like, reservoir is broken, so... But God cares about that. God cares about that, and he wants to manifest his glory through everything and yeah. anything, and can we trust and hold on until mm. he does? That's the key, baby. That's the key. Is Are we going to wait upon him and let him do it? Yes. Yes. We ought to. Yes. So. I don't. I mean, I just want to keep talking about it, but I think we've run out of time. We've more than run out of time. Oh, that's all right. We love you. <laughs> we love you guys. We'll see you next don't week. Don't fake the funk. Never. Peace. Bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org A-I-C-T. You can find the Lanky Guys at lankyguys.org, and you can send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. Thanks, everybody. See you next time.